on this episode of Quantum Week, September 11th through 17th, 2016. Quantum Week. Quantum Week. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year and we talk about movies and music and headlines and our personal stories. And today we are joined by very special guest, Naomi Brockwell, creator of NBTV, producer for John Stossel, finder at Naomi Brockwell on Twitter. Hello, Naomi. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. And I mean, there's other, you're a musician, you're a blockchain enthusiast, you're a liberty advocate, you're a content producer. You, you, you do a lot of stuff. I do the things. Yeah. What and is your favorite uh, thing though? Do a you like privacy stuff? So I'm, I'm pretty excited stuff. about the film today. Yeah. What, what's your, uh, what's your favorite part though? Do you like the music, the music aspect? Do you like producing shows? Like what, what do you love to do the most? Ooh, that's a great question. I've, I've often thought about this and I thought if I had to take any element out, it'd be like amputating a limb. <laughs> so I, I, I did a degree in classical music. So I think that's always going to be like a real, like something that I love, but coming to America, I focused mainly on being a film and television producer and absolutely love doing what I do. So it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. And being a film and television producer that then focuses on privacy and blockchain tech, it kind of combines yeah. those. And then I occasionally sing songs where I shoehorn Bitcoin into lyrics and, and ruin a bunch of popular tracks. So I, I managed to squish it all together, which is something that nobody asked for. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> but people like it. They, they really seem to. So sure. you picked the movie uh, today that we're doing, which is Snowden. Should we uh, get into that? Yes, let's. Uh, I, I'm assuming you like this movie a lot, Naomi. Is it true? I like... Everything about the Snowden story. So, yes, uh, I, I like the film, but I mean, I, I like the general, like what the film is about more. Yeah, I feel the same way. So I don't think this is a particularly good movie, uh, I, <laughs> but I do think the story is interesting. Um, yeah. And I, I, and it was, it was, I, after, so I'm, I'm, I know Matt knows a lot about Snowden. You are a huge Snowden expert. I'm not. So I mean, I knew the generalities, but I didn't really know it too much going in. Um, and I felt like I wanted to know more about what happened at the end. Like, I feel like they shoehorned a bunch of information in the last 10 minutes that I thought were wildly more interesting than him kissing Chaylene Woodley uh, and, you know, trying to make a home with this girl that you don't really care about. It's like, what, what, I feel like Oliver Stone just kind of lost his way with that. Uh, man, no, I mean, that's the Hollywood way, right? That's you got to have a love story in there. Otherwise, what's the film? So Oliver Stone did a great job at making this a Hollywood story. And uh, I think he had a t difficult job. I think that you're dealing with a guy who spent seven years analyzing all these documents, which is dry, boring stuff, yeah. trying to figure out how do I get this information out to the public? And then you have someone say, well, I'm going to make a video about him spending seven years looking at documents like what do you do with that you know so you focus on the most um you know, dramatic parts you focus on you know the government's coming after him i have to hide oh people are gonna find out i am having difficulty with the love of my life will i lose her forever and so it's like you gotta have those dramatic elements but i agree with you you know this it was a difficult job to put all that in a film i think all did a good job um but i prefer the story itself yeah and i I think you're right. I think Stone 2 also needed to... He had a difficult... Because of the boring factor, absolutely. But he also needed to make sure that people got 
what was happening. I don't know that he did that as well as he probably could have. And then also he needed to humanize Snowden. You needed to give, you needed right. to like not make him just this nerd. But that said, the love story stuff was like really sucked like that. And, and it made the, it, it made the, it made the movie too long too. And you're exactly right. Like I was not, I didn't want to know about that. I wanted to know about the government, government surveillance, how he figured that out and how he, how he got it out into the press. Like that, that's the stuff that was interesting to me, which I mean, at the end of the movie, he's with this like really poor, like they take him from the hotel. It's yeah, kind of yeah. exciting. And then they leave him with this like really poor family, I guess for a week. That, that's a lot. Like, what is happening here? That's much more interesting <laughs> to me than him, you know, uh, you know, making pasta with Shailene Woodley. It was just like, what, what are we doing here? What's, it, was, it was a crazy thing. And, and I know Oliver Stone, you guys mentioned he did have a hard time, with, you know, with this because, you know, he built this from scratch. This is really his baby. He, yeah. You know, he wrote this movie. He got uh, financing for it himself. No studio would touch it. Uh, and My. he re- basically released it on his own strength. And he hasn't made a movie since either. I don't think that's an accident. Right, because even though this movie, it's, I mean, it sort of looks like it broke even. It really didn't. I mean, after the marketing and no, stuff, this movie lost, lost money. Yes. I want, do you think, do, do you think it was just that audiences who came to see it just sort of panned it and then people just stopped? Or do you think, do you think from the get-go people weren't interested in this story? I think, it's, I think that's a big thing. So there's two, there's two things going against it. One was it was happening during an election. So, oh, right. you know, it's very politically charged time. People were kind of burnt out. I know I was. Um, with just everything. It was just, it was Trump versus Hillary. It's all you heard about. And I'm like, oh, I just, I don't want to go see a movie about the news, like a news related yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is, and I know this might not be popular with you guys, but for someone like me, maybe, I, maybe I'm a big idiot. Um, I don't care that much. And as much as I think I probably should care, because this is important. I found out about the Snowden stuff, you know, uh, you know, in 2013, when we all did, sure. it didn't change my habits. I still have a cell phone. I still have my laptop. I didn't change a damn thing. I know I probably should, but I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm the average American here. Uh, not to be Homer Simpson, but I think that, like, you know, I, I didn't do anything differently. So, am I going to go pay, you know, twelve dollars to go watch a movie about something that didn't even change my habits? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, definitely changed my habits. I mean, I, um, you know, I, st- <laughs> I, I started putting, uh, not tape. They sell these little plastic things you can put over your camera. Yeah. Um, I started, that's when I really started learning encryption. Um, so, you know, so encryption through email or like signal started to start to be a thing. I don't, maybe was that 2013 name? Do you remember when signal became a, yeah, something like that? That sounds about right. Cause I know that Snowden recommended that I mean, too. That was a, a huge thing that came in the aftermath of this. It wasn't that individuals changed their habits because I think it's difficult to ask people to care about this and yeah. to change their habits. The big thing that came out of it was large companies like Apple and Google actually discovered that the, you know, the government was feeding straight into their service. A lot of these companies didn't actually know and were not happy when they found out like Facebook, not happy when they found out. So you ended up having this big wave of you know tech overhaul where these companies started to end to end encrypt everything before the Snowden revelations a tiny fraction of internet traffic was encrypted yeah. and then after the Snowden revelations suddenly Apple has encrypted smartphones by default this is a, a huge shift so I don't think individuals really needed to change their habits that much and I would also say that that's probably not the biggest part of the revelations that I think people care about because you're right I think we have this sci-fi idea of I'm sure everything's listening to me, big brother, you know, right, right. Um, and uh, it's actually, 
it's it's difficult to to talk about in hindsight because this stuff does become normalized over the years. It does, yeah. So I do think we did have a different your relationship with it back then than we do now, where it's we just presume everything is listened to, right? But I think the biggest thing was that we kept getting told over and over that there was congressional oversight. You know, Congress knows what's going on. They're fully briefed on this programs. It's all completely legal. And what's happened since then, and we've had several court rulings on that, and uh, one of them, the most recent ones, was in November, where uh, you have courts ruled that actually what the NSA was doing was illegal, and they were lying to Congress over and over again. You had James Clapper. Yeah, they directly asked him, you know, is the NSA intercepting, you know, any telephone goes, he's like, no, <laughs> is the NSA collecting, you know, data on hundreds or hundreds of millions of Americans? Nope. And then you have, you know, Keith Alexander, who's the former director of the NSA, and they ask him the same thing. You have um, uh, Hank in the Senate who says, you know, are you intercepting emails? No. Are you intercepting bank records? No. Are you intercepting phone records? No. And it's just the flat out lying that sure. I think was the biggest thing because you have this shadow government that's doing things and no one knows about it. There's no oversight. This isn't like we're electing officials and they get to run things exactly how we specify. This was completely outside of the realm of anything we could control. And I think that was the biggest shock of all these revelations. I, I definitely agree that things change from a, a big picture point of view but the problem is corporations don't go see movies people do and that's why people aren't going to go see a movie called snowden and they didn't it's because most the average person you know me or joe six-pack isn't going to go rush out to see a movie like this even though it is something that's really important that we should care more or should be more aware about just like naomi said like a lot of us feel like we always are being watched but whether we are or aren't it shouldn't happen and you know like obviously the thing snowden did you know, getting proving that these things were illegal, making these companies have more encryption is all great things. But to ask that guy to go on a Friday night to go see a movie is, is a big ask. Well, you, you also had the pressure too from the government demonizing him too. So you also have a you know a good percentage of the population who pr- probably just doesn't know, didn't look into it, and thinks the guy's a criminal. You know, he's been charged under the Espionage Act or laws or whatever they are. Or uh, and yeah, and, and I think well, yeah, a lot of people just see him as a. They've got a, they seem as a traitor. So are they going to go watch a, like a hero worship movie about Snowden? Probably not. Right. And the interesting thing is, is that Snowden released his memoir last year, which I found a much more compelling story. I'm reading this book just going, holy moly, this is craziness, you know, but it's exactly what you said. It was focused on how did he do it? What were the documents? What was going through his mind at the time there, you know, um, but it it was interesting, you know, when you talk about Shailene Woodley um, and this kind of love story they focus on in the movie i i found that it was i don't think that it was irrelevant because Snowden actually goes into the memoir and it actually is a riveting story there too you're sure. living with someone for a decade and you have to lie to them and live this undercover life like the burden that that must have been i think the problem was is there was too much to fit in you're asking someone in a single movie to say you know i'm going to convince you why privacy is important i'm going to convince you why he's not a traitor i'm going to convince you like illuminate all these things that no one's ever known about that the government is doing um you know and you have to at the same time delve into their relationship and the nuances of his character and his upbringing and it's a very big ask you know but i don't think they did the love story in the snowden revelations in the snowden movie well and on that note actually so um so i'm a producer for stoss 
Russell and he actually interviewed uh, Snowden a couple yeah. of weeks ago. And he, he said that we've got the uh, main interview coming out uh, next week where you get to watch like the full two hour interview with him. And, and John asked him about the movie, what he thought of it, um, what was correct, what wasn't. He said that the relationship was one of the things that they got the most wrong. <laughs> so huh. that was, that yeah. was interesting. Well, I think it was, I think it was a misstep to, to, to have it go up and down as many times as they did. Like you could have shown the re- like the relationship go through the obvious traumas that would happen, but not just roller coaster it multiple times, which I think adds more time and uh, you know on stuff that we don't necessarily care as much about. Yeah. That go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say it's a, it's a misstep by Stone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Another, I don't feel this movie is very well directed. Um, now Oliver Stone did a great job with Natural Born Killers, yeah. JFK. JFK is a crazy wild story, but it's a really it's a it's a directing marvel. It's a really well directed film. Just from that something my favorite film of all time but it's really well directed yeah this movie's not um the pacing is really slow at times the camera angles he tries to be innovative he also is a 70 year old man trying to write like a 25 year old person would talk which oh sure doesn't quite work yeah um i don't think two 25 year olds talk I, like that i'm gonna i'm gonna push back that sure. i think that joseph gordon levitt did an incredible job me like too yeah he did the great. way that he changed his voice like i thought he was incredible and if you listen to snowden speak he's so thoughtful and careful and deliberate like this is a guy who chooses his words very carefully he's not going to misspeak and i do feel like they captured that um some people may say that he seems stiff but i think that snowden can come across as, as stiff in his interviews because he's so careful with everything he says. One character that I don't think they did well at all um, was this kind of character they created. They got a bunch of different, you know, CIA, NSA, intelligence directors. They, they melded them all together into this one villainous character that follows Snowden through his whole career. Obviously that person doesn't exist because Snowden was reporting to different people across the whole time. Obviously you can't do that in a short film. That was the um, Reese, uh, Reese, uh, Reese Iphon's Reese, character. Yeah, yeah. That guy. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought that character was terrible because you got this guy everything was so hit you over the head everything was like oh it was yeah what are you doing we are watching you please do the, the line people would be angry and you're just like oh okay like, yeah but particularly <laughs> in the, like, had some more with that in the scene where they're there he's in the conference room and he's on the big tv <laughs> and it's like 1984 like, yes yeah. That, that, that was I mean, a little I bit overkill. I know why he did it. I feel like Oliver Stone should have either gone fully in that direction, made it a totally stylized movie like that, yeah. yes. or made it realistic. I feel like he was trying to tread the line between the two and yep. didn't quite fall in either camp. Com- completely agree. And yeah, just, just to my uh, other point, so I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt was fantastic. My issues are with Oliver Stone's screenplay. I don't right. think a 70-year-old man knows how a 25-year-old person talks about technology. It just sounded odd. It sounded really <laughs> stiff and weird. And even their relationship, like this is not how young people talk. It was very unusual. And, and so that happens. Everyone kind of loses their fastball. It happened happened with him here, I think. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a fantastic, incredibly underrated actor through yeah. his career. Mm. I think he's really good in a lot of stuff. I didn't love him playing this part only not because he's not a great actor, because he's so charismatic. And this part almost by definition is not charismatic. Sure. If you're playing it right. And, you know, or not as charismatic as someone he typically would play, I guess. Um, but then again, I watched uh, on your Twitter feed today, uh, and I mean, you had like a seven minute clip. Um, I think it's the Stossel previewing that interview, but it kind of gives a quick right. little synopsis of the story. And Snowden there was so much more personable in that seven minutes with John Stossel than, uh, than he was. I felt like watching a lot of this movie. I felt yeah, like, oh, this yeah, guy, yeah. you know, this guy isn't a total bore. He's, he's actually pretty interesting. I wonder if yeah, it's, I, 
Oh, Sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, I wonder if it's, too, you know, too, as Snowden becomes more and more comfortable about doing these things, um, you know, like in the beginning when he's first in Russia sure. and he, like he's doing his first interviews, I'm sure he's feeling, you know, precarious and, and uh, yeah. a little bit more closed. But when I saw him. Yeah, he actually talked about that in the interview. Oh, so, he? Um, you know, he said that when he first did the the documentary that Laura Poitras um, filmed, it was like, you know, she he invites these journalists to Hong Kong. They don't know who he is. He they finally find out who he is. They meet him in a hotel room and Laura immediately takes out a camera and starts filming. Yeah. Snowden's like, oh, oh, we're, we're doing this already. Okay. And that, you know, he'd never dealt with the media before. He'd never been in front of a camera before. Um, he, this was completely new to him. And he said that, you know, going back and watching these films, like the documentary is like crazy. Oh. It doesn't feel like a real person. Yeah. You know, he, he feels like, um, that whole time was a blur to him and to rewatch it is like watching like a third person kind of narrative, but you're right. Like you watch him now on Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's done like a a couple of three hour podcasts. He's so personable. He's an incredibly charismatic, likable guy. And, um, but I do feel like this film, I mean, it takes place at a, at a time when he isn't that media personality right. that's known by the world. He is this very, you know, um, technology-focused computer geek who's sitting there in front of a screen all day. And his, you know, if you just look at the difference between the, the, the Citizen Four documentary and now, you can really just see such a tremendous shift. Yeah, I mean, plus, you know, the weight of the world on him, too. Like, he, he what he did mm-hmm. was huge personal risk. I, I I imagine, you know, you would, you'd feel a little bit closed about, uh, about talking about stuff in front of the media. But I, I also, uh, besides um, Gordon Lovett, I, I thought the other acting was pretty good too. Like I really liked uh, Kinto as, uh, as Greenwald in this film. I thought he did a really good job. Oh yeah. Did you not like him? He did a great job. I, I, he, did, he did a good job. It's just, he gets, he gets kind of mad. Like he, he does get mad. Well, no, but he's kind of like a regular, it seems like a normally, uh, you know, not a normally tempered guy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it just cuts it to him house. screaming at his boss or <laughs> screaming at somebody he works with. It's like, I think you just from a storytelling perspective, you need to have a little bit of narrative to get there. You can't just go from zero to a hundred and then back to zero again. It doesn't, it's, it's just very jarring to see. He'd been pushed too far. We didn't know enough about that character either. No, I, we you didn't. Know, you You're guys right. might be more yeah, familiar with, of with, uh, was it Glenn Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald right? Yeah. Like I'm yeah. not. So I'm just like, this guy just got angry for no reason at his boss who seems to be trying to like, it just, I felt like there were gaps missing there. And once again, it would have like, you know, maybe 30% less Woodley and maybe 30% more Greenwald would have been interesting. <laughs> right. The, well, the, the, um, I mean, it's because the guardian was like pussyfooting around fucking getting that thing out. And so I, but that's understood. a good story. Let's hear oh, more totally. about that. Yeah. Than we do about, you know, uh, th- them trying to make a house. You're right. The fireplace. They, they don't get, you're right. They don't give a lot of that, that sort of build up. You're right. That does kind of explode out of nowhere, but I thought he did a good job. Yeah, anyway. I, I would say that one um, one reason why I'm glad they included the Woodley story, and I think it's important, is because one of the only ways that we got a sense of the enormity of what the government was doing um, was when they're having sex. And you see this camera watching them, yeah, and you're sure. like, oh, yeah, that's right. They can just hop in and out of cameras at any time and not turn the green light on. That That's kind of a big deal. Like, for me, that was the most concrete example of why should we be a little more concerned about our privacy? Because there's literally someone on the other end who can tap into your computer at any time. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, and they don't like to think of it, and it's too abstract, and it's not until, you know, your neighbor's getting hauled away that it becomes a real thing, right? When the government starts using this information that they're collecting... Um, so I feel like that was probably the best job they could have done at making it super concrete. Probably. Um, 
And, and I, but I also enjoyed the story of, you know, getting that guy drunk, um, the, the CIA sort of, uh, asset that they were trying to groom. Some banker. And yeah, the story of that, I thought that was well done. Um, and it's pretty close to what happened. It was this idea of just, you know, realizing what CIA tactics are like and then becoming very disillusioned with them. I thought that was interesting. There was I, a really good scene. I'm sorry, just oh no, jump on one ahead. thing. Uh, so that scene, the scene where they're having sex and they're being, you know, watched by the laptop, potentially watched by the laptop computer is very good. The other scene I thought was really well done is he's explaining watching someone who might be like a terrorist or might be kind of a bad guy. But then you're watching like a, a step removed from him and you're watching a step removed from that guy oh, yeah. and all the connections these people all have. And it's done mm. actually, it's directed really well. And it was like almost, I'm like, whoa, this is actually a, a great three minute scene. And it totally showed really clearly to someone, you know, a dope like me who doesn't know what the hell is going on, kind of how this all works and how quickly it can devolve to all of us being watched. Right. And it was like, it was, it was really telling. It was a really good, I'm like, oh, I wish we had more of these kind of scenes in this movie. And maybe that's more what the documentary was. I haven't seen that. Yeah, that was good. One person with 40 contacts yes. yields 3 million, you know, 3 million. 3 and the next thing you know, yeah. you're watching what is it? Your dentist in Buffalo. <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, that's really good. Cause that, that, that brings it home. Yeah, of course. To someone like me, it's like, oh, this is real. Like, Cause you know, you read about terrorists. Well, I'm not a terrorist. I have nothing to worry about, but it's like, well, if you're three steps away, unknowingly, you do have a lot to worry about. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think that's a difficult thing about uh, the subject of privacy. It's just very difficult to get people to care. Like John Oliver did a great bit where I think it was back in 2015. Um, I believe where he went around Times Square and he said, you know, um, like he, he figured the only way he'd get people interested is telling people that the government might be looking at their dick pics. And so he's going around <laughs> saying like, uh, you know, what do you, would you think if the government looks at your dick pics? There's this great se- series of like 10 people saying like, if, if the government looked at a picture of my penis, I would want that program shut down. <laughs> and, you know, it was really funny, like these couples together. Well, if the government had a picture of Gordon's penis you know i that would make me very uncomfortable i would not be happy with that and um and but then afterwards what was telling for me this is like years after the snowden revelations right and um and then they said to them so do you think a program like this exists like the dick pic program and they said no no there's no way that there's a program that can allow you to look at this and and for me that kind of struck home because i'm like oh wow people have no idea like they literally have an internal google search that was created by google called x key score that allows you to search any ingestion method that they have and come up with search results like the same way we type into google and search the internet they just type in you know naomi brockwell or my phone number or my ip address or my you know anything at all related to me and suddenly they've got my personal text messages my personal instagram messages my you know every private thing that i've ever created they just have it there it's all ingested waiting you know and it's it's I don't think people actually realize the full extent of what's going on. And I don't think the film touched on that. They tried really hard. And I think you're right. That three minute scene where they've got those graphics and they're like linking people. And and he's like, well, whose people, whose data are we collecting? And he's like, the whole kingdom. Like I thought that was a a cool section. Um, But I still don't think they really encapsulated the full extent of what's going on. No, it's funny because when I was watching them celebrate, towards the end of the movie, you know, after the guardian um, starts producing the pieces and they're like, yeah, this is like prime time news. And I'm thinking, and I, I was just thinking to myself, yeah, but not that many, like some people will care, but this won't really hit home to actually the majority of people who it needs to hit home to. 
Um, yeah, it was yeah. just, just, uh, but as telling. I said, like it only needs to hit home to the people who are creating our technology. As long as we have options out there, like end to end encrypted chat, you know, you saw that signal just rolled out encrypted video chat. Yeah. It's, this is a long time coming. Uh, this is really exciting because as long as people have those choices available, then we're okay. And people can make their own individual choices. People may think that, well, you know, I don't think it's worth it for me to inconvenience myself to go onto this other platform. I really like the stickers I can use in Facebook Messenger. Whatever your reasons, right. people have different value systems. But as long as the choices are out there, um, I think that we're still in a good state. And the scariest thing for me is that currently the government's actually trying to ban things like Signal. They want to ban end-to-end encryption. And if we lose those options, I think they're completely screwed. Well, it seems like, I mean, even the big tech companies, like you mentioned before, even Apple is pushing back against stuff like that. They don't want that either. I mean, they're, they pushed mm. it back when uh, well, when the government wanted back a, a little bit. Well, but gov- they wanted a, government wanted a key to get, you know, to break Apple's encryption. And they're like, no. Um, so I, I think we are getting some, uh, some protection from them. So they, they're hit or miss. Um, Apple seems to historically have been very good about this. Yeah. And I've always had a lot of respect. And that's why people are like, well, Apple's way better than Google. That's why iPhone's way better than Android. Um, but I think it was in 2018, uh, they plan to encrypt all of the cloud storage for iPhones, uh, for your backups. And, uh, and because of FBI pushback, they then decided, okay, we won't encrypt it. So mm. they do cave and that's disappointing to see. But I, I agree, they have pushed back a lot more than other companies and they've done it publicly. The problem is, is that there are gag orders out there, double binds, people, companies not only can't talk about what they've been asked to do, they get things like national security letters. Right. They, they'll go to jail if they mention getting a letter like this. Uh, but second of all, they can't even talk in general against these principles because they'll you know go to jail for that too. So we actually don't know how much they're pushing back because they're fighting all this stuff in private. You know, all these companies are. So it's like this kind of scary world where everything's going on in the shadows we think like well voting for the president is the most important thing we can do because we get a real say and it's like do we do we actually know what's going on you know does does the president even know what's going on like it's a it's i I don't think that that our democracy is exactly as it seems and i don't think people have realized that yeah um there was another part of the movie too that i i was thinking that didn't they didn't really explain very well and actually i don't know enough about the story to answer this question maybe you do but like why did snowden keep going back to the cia like over and over and over i mean i know we, you know he's got to make a living and everything but he like gets kicked out i think after um the thing that happened in was it was it um shoot he was abroad. In Switzerland, yeah, yeah. Uh, he started out with the CIA. So his his timeline, he goes back and forth and he starts out the CIA as a government worker and then he goes into the private sector. Now, the private sector where you have contractors, basically exactly the same thing sure. as government workers. They sit next to each other. They're on all the same computers. It's a loophole that the government uses because they have a finite number of employees they yeah. can employ. And so then they hire Dell for things and they have like unlimited budgets for these. And so they get contractors in who sit in the same office They just have a green badge rather than a blue badge. So I think that, I mean, he left the CIA. He then went and worked um, as a contractor. Uh, I think it was for Dell to start off with, but I'm I'm not sure there. Um, And then he would just keep working for these private companies. And then they would just either send in like CIA, you know, um, project or NSA project or, you know, he ended up at Booz Allen Hamilton, Booz Booze, oh my gosh, I can't even, Fred Alsey, he ended Booze. up working for the CIA, yeah. uh, NSA at the end of it. Um, 
And so he kind of went back and forth and actually it, it's, a, it's a long journey that he's taken. His whole family was a military family, you know, right. his dad's in the Coast Guard and couldn't tell him what he did, you know, day-to-day life. You know, he had his very patriotic upbringing. And for him, he started out in the army. He decided he wanted to fight um, in the wars that were going on at the time. And he wanted to go to Iraq and, um, and he was super patriotic and he broke both of his legs. And then he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll do computer stuff. Cause that's something I'm actually good at. Sure. Clearly not made out for the army. And so then he starts focusing on tech and I think he's still patriotic and he goes, works for the CIA and, and then he's like disillusioned. So he's like, okay, I'll try something else. I'll try the NSA, which was a much more technically savvy organization. Um, but then he gets like handpicked for all these different things. He, he's a very smart guy who he ends is. up creating this backup system for the, you know, entire intelligence, uh, community. And, by the time he realizes what's going on, he's getting more and more curious as he starts to realize, oh my gosh, I think this is way bigger than we think it is. I've got, I'm looking through this straw and we're all looking through straws. We're all told, this is your project. You don't need to know what it's for. You don't need to know who else is using it. Just do this tiny little snippet. And uh, he, as he moved back and forth from agency to agency and as he got higher and higher, his straw starts getting bigger and he starts to go, oh, okay, I think I actually know what's going on. And he starts digging into this and he starts creating the system called Heartbeat, which basically collects all these memos from across the entire intelligence community, ingests all the documents. He creates that as a service, you know, in inverted commas for other intelligence community people. But it's actually this hidden tool he's created so that he he won't flag suspicion when he's ingesting all these documents, right? So he starts doing all this digging. And finally, you know, to answer your question in this very roundabout way, he ends up um, getting going back and taking sort of like a, a demotion almost to work at this place called the Office of Information Sharing because he basically started piecing together this thing. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to be this whistleblower and he needed this one more piece of information. He'd never actually used a couple of programs. So he you know, takes a, a like demotion to go and be in a position where he can use it so that he has everything he needs to prove what's going on. So it's kind of this well thought out journey that he kind of doesn't even realize he's taking until he gets to the end. And it's like, oh, oh, this is the next step I'm taking. Okay, yeah. he starts to realize. It seemed like uh, Oliver Stone could have done a better job than like showing that that progress of, of him, like, yeah. hey, you know, going through the thought processes of I need to collect this information. I need to do these things in order to be a whistleblower. He really sort of snapped into that goes to Hawaii becomes a whistleblower in like 10 minutes and it's done yeah it's rough <laughs> I, I, I give this movie a C minus Matt what do you give it <sighs> B minus now this really? is a movie now that's not Snow in the Man this no 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 Snow of course man, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a hero I no. think he's done some you know uh, this amazing story but this, the, the movie itself I think things drops the ball yeah the hard thing for me is it's there's a big message hammer but it's my message hammer like it's the one that I believe in so it does shadow for me some of the bad stuff about this film it, it definitely elevates it a little bit more than it should but if I I try to be as objective as possible and I think I would say it's a B minus hmm. yeah I'm gonna give it a B plus look at I, you um, right. yeah I I thought that although it's heavy handed and although it's kind of like a caricature in a lot of ways of like the all these things going on I just think it's such a compelling story and he had real balls to tackle this as you said no studio wanted to touch it so i think that he did a great job given the stress that he was under and the um confinements he had to work within and i just think that the the story itself carries the movie more
more than um, more than you'd expect. So I, well, I I thought that it did anyway, even though I did find it very heavy handed. One last anecdote about Oliver Stone before we move on. Yeah. Uh, so they had to shoot this movie in Germany because America, you don't you know, oh, you yeah. couldn't shoot it here. Uh, <laughs> and uh, his mother died during shooting, and he wasn't able to go home for the funeral or wake because he, if he had, he would they were, to travel back would have cost him so many days of shooting and filming. And this is already kind of like a self finance, like independently. So he missed his mom's uh, wake and funeral. That's horrid. Oh, wow. All right, there you go. Well, that's so sad. Very sad. That, his I commitment, though, Oliver Stone's commitment to an... the movie was very, as you can tell, very real. Very real. I'm, I'm bumping it up to an A minus. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> You're easy to sway. I'm keeping my C minus. <laughs> B minus. All right, before we get into the music part of the podcast, I want to talk about our new sponsor. So this episode of Quantum Week is partially sponsored by Within the Musician podcast with host Monica Williams. Within the Musician, it's a totally new podcast for any and all musicians. And Monica Williams, the host, she's a performer. She's a recording artist. She is a composer. She's a music teacher. And if you know me, this is my kind of musician, right? Someone who can do it all because I like to do it all myself. I like to record my own music. I like to write, record, you know, edit, mix, master, everything. I like to teach people about music as I sometimes try to do on this podcast. So this is my kind of podcast. And it's why any musician can really find value in listening to her podcast because it's not just about like the nuts and bolts, not just about the theory or the performing, or it's not just about one element. Monica will talk about all that, of course, but she also talks about things like the struggles and the triumphs that come along with playing, writing, and teaching music. These are all things that I know very well because, you know, for me in particular, um, writing is something that's a very lonely experience. It's, it's so raw and personal that sometimes... Sometimes it can really like mess with my confidence, um, especially if I'm feeling blocked. And Monica speaks to these things. And she also draws inspiration from her guests as they all look for ways to be happy and healthier humans while stimulating their creative side through music. And uh, oh, speaking of her guests, Monica's guests are pretty awesome. They include professional musicians and even a Grammy-nominated producer. And they talk about everything because, you know, like I said, music is not just about the study of the tone and technique and rhythm or theory. It's it's also about stress management. It's also about better communication and self-care. And Monica, Monica goes through it all. So be like me. Check out Within the Musician podcast with host Monica Williams. You can find it on pretty much any platform that you go to to find your podcast, including Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcatchers. We got, we got two tours back. Two tours is back. Two tours is back. Uh, always excited to have two tours. Of course, as always, better known and operated. The Pick Tennessee product. Uh, we know it. We know they're homegrown by a hero certified. What do they do? CBD products. CBD. We got the salve, salve, save, salve, salve, salve. No, I was told it. Don't pronounce who the said, L. Who said? Somebody on Twitter. Salve? Sa- sound like they knew they were talking no, about No, no, no. Salve is not the word. It's got to be salve or solve. Salve. Salve. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but I like the droplets, um, the oil. Uh, I call them the droplets. It comes, actually, I don't have to explain this bottle. I like the bottle. I'm happy. I like when things are packaged well. So this is a bottle. It has like a droplet, like an eyedropper. Yeah. And because uh, that's kind of fun. Like you ever see like you have like uh, it's hard not to touch an eyedropper. <laughs> what? Because it's fun. Like the texture. Oh, of, like, it the is. Rubber. Like the like, rubber. Is, anytime you yeah, see it, you want to like just do it. So it's kind of fun. It's like, oh, so yeah. And uh, it works really well. It's a, it's a nice bottle. It's a nice eyedropper. And then uh, boom. I, I Some people put it in their drinks. No. Yeah, they do. That's fine. Really? People, people do that. They could do whatever they See, want. See, I like the taste of hemp. Okay. Yeah, so I would just like it straight. Well, I do. I, I hit it. Under, if I'm having trouble sleeping, uh, I do it under my tongue, and boom, I'm asleep. So we talked before about how much I love playing my baseball simulator. 
I'm I'm up to nineteen sixteen now in this crazy world You're where really I've cruising. taken. Uh, if you haven't heard uh, the episode, uh, what I've done is I've taken every play, every play of Major League Baseball, and I'm putting them into into basically starting in nineteen oh one in random order. So like Ted Williams is already in the league, even though it's before he was even yeah you know he's just a child at this point, but yeah. in this world he's an adult playing baseball for Brooklyn, Brooklyn Dodgers. I bet it's he a is. wild world. It's insane. But sometimes the excitement of that game makes it so I have a hard time sleeping. So I think this is amazing. Mickey Mantle's and the Red Sox, what's happening? It's 1916. This I can feel enthusiasm. It is crazy. It's, what, the, what is happening? So what I do is I, uh, I take the oil and, uh, and now I, uh, I'm asleep in half an hour. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a win. If you want to uh, battle insomnia and win like I do, or if you have issues with anxiety, uh, CBD uh, products can help out a ton. Yep. Go to twotours.com. Uh, two tours.com 10% off and free shipping with the promo code QW 10% off and free shipping with promo code QW two tours. All right, so this is What You Came For by Calvin Harris featuring Rihanna, maybe? Yep. And Rihanna? Sure. Yeah. Um, Naomi, you picked this song as well. Give us a little, give us some beats. Talk to us about why you picked it. I picked this. Because oh, <laughs> like, there are two subjects that I love to talk about. One of them Snowden, privacy, and, uh, and the other is Taylor Swift. So right. um, Taylor po- Swift actually was the co-writer on this song. and They were uh, dating. Yeah, under the the pen name, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Niles Sjöberg or something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, it was kind of controversial when all this came out because, like, she had this giant falling out with Carol Calvin Harris, and they were dating, and they worked with a song. He did like this interview that said, "No, I don't think Taylor and I will ever collab on anything." Meanwhile, they've already Ooh. collabed on this one in private, and and then this was at the time when she just got destroyed by the media so it was kind of like i don't know it's this interesting story that i uh I, it's kind of it, it, it there are echoes of it throughout her, her music since then like you know mentions of it in the um in recent music videos and, and all kinds of things so i thought it was a fun song to cover does what was going on with taylor say i'm not a huge swifty but what was going on with uh, taylor swift at this time why was it was there a fight with um another musician oh okay uh, this is uh, this is gearing up to be my favorite podcast interview ever there we go um, I'm going to dive into Taylor Swift. Okay. Um, I've just been waiting for the opportunity. Thank you so much, <laughs> You're, you're guys. welcome. Uh, <laughs> so at the time, I mean, you had this girl next door, right? Taylor Swift. She's this country and Western, um, you know, young, innocent thing. And, uh, and her crisis kind of started when Kanye West gets up on stage yep. a few years prior and uh, she's just won a, uh, you know, a, a Grammy and this this guy gets up and, and Taylor's like, oh, I love Kanye. wonder what he's going to say to the microphone. And he gets his microphone and he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to let uh, Taylor finish. But Beyonce has the greatest music video of all time. And Taylor's just like, oh, <laughs> thank you. And she Thanks, walks off Kanye. stage, promptly goes off and cries. And, and it's just this humiliating moment for her. And she, like... Taylor and Kanye have this tumultuous relationship where Taylor then goes on to write this song 
about Kanye, but it's kind of this forgiveness song. He's mm. like, you know, you were, you were still an innocent and, and all this thing. And then um, they kind of make amends and she gets this bouquet of flowers from uh, Kanye and, and all this stuff, you know, it seems like it's all fine. And then Kanye writes a song where she, he mentions Taylor Swift. Yeah. And, uh, and he calls her on the phone and apparently they talk about the song and apparently he gets permission from her and all of this stuff. And anyway, the song's released and Taylor flips because in this song, Kanye says things like, you know, I, I got this bitch famous. Um, you know, I think we might still sleep together. And they depict Taylor, like they get this wax figurine of Taylor naked in this Uh. music video. And Taylor's like, this is not what I signed up for. So she flips out. Then you get this, you know, uh, video that, um, Oh, what's her face? What's what's Kanye's wife's name? Kardashian. Uh, Kim Kardashian. Kim posts this edited version of this conversation, which is Taylor and Kanye's conversation where he gets her permission, but it's edited. You know, it's not the full conversation. Sure. And so she puts this out and then starts saying, Taylor, you're a snake, you know, la, la, la. And then everyone starts bombarding Taylor's social media with snake emojis. She actually, I think, was the first artist uh, to get Instagram to ban a specific emoji from her entire uh, channel because it just gets completely overrun. Taylor responds and is like, you know, where did, where on earth did in that video, did it depict Kanye asking me for permission or uh, telling me he's going to refer to me as that bitch? You know, that never happened. You know, I'm not lying. I'm not a snake. This is just the facts of it. I was never told that he was going to do this. I wanted to like the song. I never even heard the song. He never played me the song. How can I like something or approve something I'd never even heard? So anyway, after this, Taylor disappears from public view for years. Mm. She uh, goes off all, like she's a very um, uh, engaging person. Like she loves her fan base. She will stay for like 12 hours to meet all of her fans after a show, you know, and she disappears for years and years. And, um, and it's because like the whole world, like suddenly every media outlet is saying, you know, you are a snake, you are a, a double crosser, you are a, a vixen, you are a liar, you are you know, untrustworthy, you're fake. All of this stuff just comes down on her. Now, this is what you came for. So this song comes out prior to this and it was Niels Sturberg, however you pronounce that, and um, no one thinks twice of it. But then during all of this crackdown, so Taylor is going out with Calvin Harris and yeah, then they yeah. break up and Taylor during this time ends up dating a few other people like Hiddleton and, and all of these people. And, and she's, she's sort of, uh, you know, her and Calvin obviously had this, like something happened there and, and we don't really know what, she's very private about her, her relationships. Well, he sounds suddenly, bitter. He sounds bitter when he's referring to her during this time when people are asking absolutely. about, Hey, oh, didn't you write this with Taylor? Yeah. Well, so what ended up happening was suddenly these press releases just start getting released saying, oh, you know, this is what you came for was actually co-written by Taylor Swift. And then, you know, um, then you have Calvin Harris who becomes public and he's like, you know, I, you know, you did a great job on this. Yes, it is written by Taylor Swift. I did the music though. And I did the producing, but yes, she co-wrote it with me. Um, But you know, you can't bury me like you did Katie and all this because, you know, Swift has also had this very public falling out with, um, with Katy Katy Perry. Perry. And so this song was kind of like, it was this great song. I love it. And then, 
it, after it, it was sort of overshadowed by this tumultuousness of Taylor revealing. And she's like, you know, your, your machine, your people that you have running, like you guys can't just bury me. Insinuating that Taylor has kind of this well-orchestrated machine for publicity, which she probably does. She probably does, yeah. Um, that is trying to win back favour. So then the Calvin thing happened and then Taylor disappears, right? And so we don't hear from her for years until the Reputation album comes out, which she refuses to do any press releases for. She doesn't talk to any media outlets. She doesn't do any interviews for the entire, you know, next year, two years, however long that era went for. And everyone said, like, your tour is going to flop. All of this stuff ended up being that most successful tour um, in history. Um, and so she kind of had this comeback. And Niles Serberg, the first single she releases on the next album, which is years after this whole Niles Serberg uh, scandal, is uh, called Look What You Made Me Do. And it starts off in this graveyard with this, you know, um, corpse climbing out of a grave. And on the tombstone, it says R.I.P. Niles Serberg. And it's this oh, idea yeah. of you know, Taylor coming back from the dead. And this is her big comeback, which ended up being very well played because she goes on to win like artist of the decade and artist of the year and artist of the everything. And, and it's just, I don't know, it's this song... I, I love the song itself. I love Calvin Harris. And uh, for me, it also represents something more than that, which is you can make a really bad PR move or you can have like a really bad um, attack from media and then you can come back stronger than ever, which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of inspiring. That is an inspiring story. A cautionary tale. From the music perspective, the only thing that I, like my issue, I have a few issues with the song. Like, first of all, mm-hmm. I really like uh, one of their other um, songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We found love. I think is a really great one, and and that's um. So and the reason why is that so uh, we we talked about the chain smokers on the on our last episode because we stay you know in 2016 for three episodes. Um. So and it's my same issue where like I liked their EDM stuff more than their really their more poppy stuff, and the same thing with Calvin Harris here. I like his I like his like EDM stuff from you know five years ago or six years ago more than I like this stuff. Um, when they start to get a little bit too, when they try to, they try to gain favor as too much of a pop artist, they sort of lose, like the songs aren't as well-crafted and pop as they would need to be in order, in, or in order to interest me, or they're not as EDM as they need to be in order to interest me. There's sort of this middle ground, particularly because he's sort of like, you can't even tell this is Rihanna really. Like you listen to the right. song and it doesn't even, he, he affects her voice so much and, and um, you know, and, and moves stuff around, cuts it up so much that it's like, is that even, it's like you could have had any, it could have been anybody. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to be Rihanna. And Rihanna's like super talented voice. Yeah. Um, but then you're not even using it in that one. So that that's, yeah. I guess that's my feelings on the, on the song. And then Taylor actually did uh, backup vocals for it. So oh, no. it's interesting that you say like, you know, it could be anyone. It's like, yeah, because she hid in this track for forever <laughs> and no one knew it was, was her. So like one thing that I, it strikes me about this song and it's something Taylor does and I noticed that she does is uh, I, I don't know whether it's intentional, but I think it is where there will be songs and thematically they seem very similar to some of the songs Taylor has written mm. and completely the, the music of it is completely different. She's taken it and does something else with it. 
But it's almost like she sometimes looks to what songs and themes are popular and then says, okay, I'll write something that is, I completely change it around, but it's still about this thing. Like I feel like she did this with the John Mayer song, um, Comfortable, um, and she wrote her own version of this, even talks about the same light bulbs flashing. Or huh. like, they basically tells the same story, but from a guy and girl's perspective. Um, I feel like this song reminded me so much of Flight Facilities, Crave You, because the lyrics are all about, you know, lightning strikes every yeah. Where she moves, everybody's watching her, but she's looking at you. And the flight facility song is like, Why can't you like me like the other boys do? They stare at me while I stare at you. And so it's like, I feel like that's something, and I, 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 I see it all the time. There are so many songs of hers that I'm like, Oh, that like the She takes multiple perspectives. Is that what you're saying? She takes the, the opposite perspective. Yeah, is that what well, you mean? not even just the opposite perspective, but even just Sailor. Like, you know, any song at all. Like, I'm going to write about the exact same thing, write about the same moments even, but I'll just put them in all my own words. Yeah, and I so see. I think that some people connect to lyrics a lot in music. And so it's a very clever tactic if you're like, well, what does someone else connect to? Let me take that theme and use it. And she has admitted that she sometimes, you know, when she's not feeling inspired by her own life or where she's not experiencing love herself, she'll sometimes watch a movie yeah. and like pause it and be like, oh, what would that person be thinking right there? And she'll write a song about it. Like, I think she's very clever in the way she does that. I, I like Calvin Harris. I wouldn't say I love him. I, I like him. I think the song Summer is really good. Um, Feel So Close is another song I like a lot. I don't necessarily always seek him out, but he's the kind of thing where if I hear him on the radio, I'm like, oh, or if I hear his song, I'm like, oh, what is that? Oh, I like that. Oh, oh, it's Calvin Harris. You know, I'm always kind of like pleasantly su- surprised by him. Yeah. I, I feel like I've been pleasantly surprised by Calvin Harris like at least six times with six different songs. I'm like, oh, wow, I like that too. I like he'll add some like new wave and some and yes. like a lot of 80s stuff in, into, into his like. earlier stuff, which I really like too. I can really identify with it. Yeah. Um, I did want to say two. One song of, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I did want to say this. So this was number six this week. It topped at, uh, it, it peaked at number three, sold 10 million copies. So it was a huge hit. Wow. Rihanna's uh, 21st top five and his second. He's had more sense than Wow. 21st crazy um so what were we gonna there say was a dizzy rascal song that um harris did and that was my first introduction to calvin harris um and i just thought it was it was awesome it was kind of this song that i, w- I was at this drama club at the time we used yeah. to play it all the time and um and so I, for me i always associated him with like people like dizzy rascal and then to hear him suddenly collaborating with like rihanna taylor swift it's kind of like oh oh wow you do a whole lot of different it's a style shift for him know? definitely yeah if you listen yeah if you listen to the older albums it's definitely a style shift i used to go to a lot of mets games i was living in new york city from 2012 to 2016 i went to a ton of mets game at mets season tickets and the mets de- the guy the, the dj the guy that played the music there must have loved Calvin Harris because you play Calvin Harris songs all the time. <laughs> and that was kind of how I got introduced to him was going to Mets games. I'm like hearing that song and I would Shazam the song and sure enough, it would always end up being like a Calvin Harris song. <laughs> like, Oh, I like this song too. Uh, but yeah, that, I don't know if I know that's still the case over there with that the Mets DJ. I don't know if it's still the same guy or not, but uh, if you go to a city field, you hear, you'll you hear, hear Calvin at Harris. one time, at least you were guaranteed to hear a lot of Calvin Harris. Yeah. Um, anything else on the song? I don't think so. Naomi, it's okay. What do, what, do you, so. what do you guys do the song? I, I give it a, I give it a, I give it a C plus. Yeah, something like that for me. It's not terrible. I just like. No. It. I just know the old. I know. Yeah, that la- the other one. Um, we found love is like way to me is like. I like twice the song good. better than the movie this week. This episode. What? Just slightly. I think I like the movie slightly better than. The and I'm guessing Naomi. What do you like? What do you like better, Naomi? Actually, I don't want to guess. 
What do I like better? Well, I actually love this song. I would give it an A. I, wow. I listen to it. I, I enjoy it. It's a fun dance track. I like the theme of it. It's kind of cool. It's just good to dance to. It makes me feel good. Um, the, I mean, I, don't make me, don't make me choose. You have guys. to choose. No, but it's too, too embroiled with like feelings about other things. Like you want me to disassociate Snowden's story and yes. the issue of privacy <laughs> exactly from the right. film. I don't know if I can do that. You guys are stronger people than me. I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to say that I like, I, I'm going to put the film ahead because for me, the film is something poignant that has memories and gravitas associated. There's no gravitas yeah. associated with the song. It's fun. Me. So that evokes stronger feelings. So I, because I can't really prioritize, I'll just go with whatever evokes stronger feelings. All right. Um, did you have any thoughts on what was going on for you in 2016 at this time? I know I asked you earlier. So thank God for Google Calendar tracking everything in my life. Uh, (laughs) And so, yeah, I looked back uh, to try and figure out what I was doing. So I actually, my, so the start of the week, my sister was visiting me from Australia. So I imagine that that was pretty fun. Um, And then on the Tuesday, I was working as a producer at Fox at the time. Uh, I was still a producer for John Stossel, but at the time we were on on Fox. And so we were taping uh, the show called Rights at Risk, which is a kind of fits thematically into what we're talking about here uh, with privacy rights and constitutional rights and all of that. Um, And then you're right. It was right in the middle of the election. So I imagine things at Fox were super hectic at the time because, we, you know, went, my entire job description at the time consisted of just listening to Trump and Hillary sound bites oh, sure. over and over and over. And it's, yeah, it was a, it was a tough time to work in media. <laughs> Gosh. Now you mentioned your sister visited you from Australia. You lived in Australia, I assume based on the accent. And in fact, your sister's from there. Uh, when did you move to the States? Uh, I moved to the States 10 years ago, okay. actually. So 10 years ago this year. So I've been here for a decade, which is kind of shocking to me um, sure. because I always still, I I wonder whether the, the tipping point comes where you go from feeling like you're an Australian to where you feel like you're an American. And I know that tipping point might come soon. Like, I don't think I'll ever get citizenship here because um, it seems it tends to follow you around the world. I don't think I'd want that. Um, but I love living in, in the United States and, uh, and I, all of my friends like you know i've made such an amazing friendship group here um uh sorry i've just got a do you guys hear that yeah yeah is it the a steamboat <laughs> a garage oh, okay uh, okay. <laughs> 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 um so i yeah it is strange that to think that it's been so long since i've been here and i you know there's going to become a certain point of time where i've spent more time here than i have in australia yeah. that's gonna be super weird for me I know. I'm glad you said that was a garage. Cause I thought Matt had like chili for dinner. I was like, what? I'm like, what is that noise, Matt? I was, I was, I was a little concerned gonna, for his health. It's close in a couple of seconds. Wait for it. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Stamp on the ground and be like, stop moving the door. Um, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what you were doing. We also had, I can talk a little bit about what was in the news yes. during this time. It, yeah. It might be a little depressing i apologize it's okay man it's, there it's, wasn't it's, a lot of good news at this time sorry right, we can handle it okay, are you sure <laughs> yeah, i think so this is a tough one um a belgian doctor granted euthanasia to a 14 year old the first time this has ever occurred since the eu removed the age restrictions for assisted suicide wow. <laughs> all right start start with, start with kid suicide way to go man <laughs> i told you it was tough that's good that's nice uh yeah i want you know i'm i'm a big like 
adult consent guy. That's a that's a tough mm-hmm. one. For What's me. the next story, Matt? Orphanage on fire? <laughs> yes, <laughs> we can do that too. Do- dogs, <laughs> dogs getting murdered. What, what do we have next, Matt? A researcher from the University of California, San Francisco, discovered that the sugar industry may have manipulated studies about heart disease. Big sugar wanted people to think that fat caused heart disease, not sugar. But it's sugar. Yeah, carbs, dude. I don't know if I like that. That's why you're so healthy. You don't eat a lot of sugar. Well, you do yeah, drink I do. your soda. I drink soda. I don't, that's, really, that's about all I do. Yeah, yeah I don't, you don't, don't like desserts or anything. No. Yeah. So that was the second wow. one. Not as, I, went, I went heavy for the first one so that we yeah. could we could. Well, have I, a I'm addicted break. to sugar and, uh, oh, no. and I try not to be and I try so hard and I, hard. I will go for like months at a time without having it, but then I'll just fall off the wagon. It's tough. It's real tough. I don't like, I don't smoke. I don't drink alcohol. I don't have many vices like that normal people have except sugar is like, it's a difficult one for me. So, oh gosh. I know it's hard. I'm allergic to corn, so I don't uh, do high fructose corn syrup. So it, it really negates all the sh- all the like really sugary sodas. Yeah, I will drink alcohol for Naomi today, and I will have a McRib <laughs> for Matt today because that's corn syrup. Mc- I'm going to go home and have a McRib tonight. Yes, what, did you- oh, and that's what it's going to sound like after eating the McRib. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> in my bathroom. Um, you co- uh, so Chris had did you have three in a row, three days in a row or four days in a row? Four, McRib? Day, four days in a row. I had a McRib. And then you hurt yourself and the fourth I, day. And then the fourth day, I got very sick in the fourth day. My, my body rejected the fourth one, yes. But then how many days did you go in between starting up a your week. habit again? A week. Was it that long? Yeah, yeah. And then how many days in a row have you had it's a McRib? Two and three days. Yeah. Wow. And he's I, never eat, I, never eat, I never eat fast food. This is, I, so I'm 41, so I'm, I'm too old to be doing this. I, I know this is ridiculous and embarrassing, <laughs> but I haven't had a McRib in so long, so I wanted to eat it. And then once I got the taste, it was like, I, I got to go back. Yes. It's like a uh, nicotine. It's like, uh, yep. it's, like, it's like heroin or something. <laughs> I get more McRib. Did you, uh, wait, is it seasonal or do they, has yeah, it, it hasn't been in, uh, in New Hampshire in 10 years. Really that long? Yes. It's, it's, it, Naomi was in Australia the last time I could eat a McRib. You've never had one, Naomi. <laughs> Have you? I, I'm actually a vegan. So... Um, a vegan who eats eggs, actually. Um, so that's not a vegan. I don't have McRibs. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, you're better off for it. Back to the euthanasia story from earlier. Right. Okay, the third thing is I remember this really vividly because I was working with a lot of people from Spain at the time, but Catalan ind- independence was happening. The vote was happening oh, yeah. for Catalan independence. So um, <laughs> you got five people coming home. Um, so huge protests in Barcelona as uh, an estimated 800,000 people voted for Catalan independence. Do you know, do you know what was I happening? Know, I don't know what this means. So Catalan, it's, it's a region of Spain, which yep. um, the major, Barcelona is in this region. And it's one of the wealthier regions in Spain. But the other regions of Spain sort of leech off it and they're like, we're done. Like we want to be, we want to be our own system of, we want to have our own system of government, yada, yada, yada. So they voted for independence and there were police at like dragging elderly people out of the polls and a lot of violence and they ended up um, arresting all of the, all of the uh, like all the the independence movement leaders and stuff. It was, it was a really rough time, um, and the the Spanish government just said no, you can't you can't secede and stopped them, hmm. even though eight hundred thousand people voted for it. It's crazy. So they did not get their independence. They did not get their independence. What a waste of time. It w- kind of. Oh, it nothing happened. It's a waste of time. Should have just should have just did what I did. Stood on my couch and eat McRibs. There you go. <laughs> Much happier. All right. <laughs> so that was the news. One thing I will say about uh, Catalan um, is I, I think it was a year after you had major protests because they had this vote, right? And yeah. then they, like a year later, they 
actually barricaded off uh, the city and uh, wouldn't let people in and said, like, we've seceded. Yeah. Um, you know, stop doing this. And I actually was in Spain at the time. Were you so really? I was, yeah, I was traveling a lot for crypto conferences at yeah. then. And so I, um, I was going to, I think it was Gibraltar is at the tip of Spain there. Right. And, um, and so I, it was a, it was a terrible, terrible trip. I had to like, I, 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 I sometimes flying can be very, very difficult. And anyway, I got kicked out of my flight because they overbooked it and they were like, we're choosing you to not fly. And I'm like, I have a conference that I'm emceeing tomorrow. What do you mean? So I ended up traveling for like 24 hours being rooted around the oh. entirety of Spain, right in the middle of the Catalan protests. So that was an interesting uh, experience. I met another couple who was there at the time too, and they 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 bailed. They like they were sort of uh, vagabonding around Europe um, as a family, just kind of going from place to place. And they ended up in Spain right as that was happening. They're like, "Fuck this, we're out," and and left. But yeah. I mean, that's whenever you see mm. civic like unrest and you know upheaval, that's a really uh, that that's that's one of the scariest things for me. I don't think I uh, I'd have to bail quick. The Godfather Two or Argo. Like you gotta get out of here. You gotta get out of here. Yeah, so, gotta, yeah. Uh, that's all we got, right? I think that's it. So, um, unless you have any more thoughts or questions, uh, Naomi Brockwell, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Naomi. That was great. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. Yeah. Um, cool. cool. We're back on, uh, if you have our Patreon, we have the Patreon show on Sunday, which will be tomorrow. Uh, we have hell or high water and then we're back on Wednesday for everybody with gladiator. See that.